Well, good Sunday morning to you. This is another episode of the Wiser Future Podcast, and we're not going to worry your patient long today, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, one of the oldest wars that has been raging in the land, and it is the oldest, and that war is Satan against us. He has raged wars years and years and thousands of years ago against us simply because his right was taken from the tree of life and his uh, goal is to take yours and mine uh, each day that we rise and get out and do things. Uh, there's so many ways and so many strategies he has used in order to throw us off course from being what God has predestined us to be and we want to cover some of those things and, and give us our enlightenment on uh, his strategies and what we can do to counter his attacks and so that we can be okay in the end because the Bible says uh, the race is not given to the swift or the strong but he doesn't do it in the end so it don't matter how long you've been proclaiming salvation but the deal of the matter is at the end of this deal you still has to be saved so his job is to come in and take that from us until uh, we are where he is and not having that opportunity. So this morning I can say uh, with John the shot of a doubt, he is a liar. Amen. Because he's not going to stop us from being all that God has us to believe. Okay. So in order to defeat him, we has to be somewhat ahead of him. He has a plan, as I stated, every morning that we wake to throw us off to make us have the, the worst day possible. Paul said it best, when I would do good, evil is always present. So his goal, along with his demons, is to uh, distract you every day, to corrupt you every day, to change your way of thinking, the way of you seeing things every day, so that you will lose your opportunity that he don't have. See, you and I can always gain that, that opportunity. We can do wrong, because the Bible said there's none good, not even one. So even when we do bad, he, there's an opportunity that we can be reconciled as long as we repent and tell God we are sorry in a godly way. He will forgive us and we continue to do better and better. But you have to have a counter-attack plan for when he attacks. And, and I'm going to go through a little of this. There, uh, forgive me um, if I, as I always say, if I miss uh, pronounce a word or whatever, it's all in love because I don't claim to be the smartest man in the world, I'm about like uh, they would consider Peter and them when they was getting ready to minister and some were saying, you know, we gotta uh, see these men as those with unlearned spirits. And maybe I don't have the smartest spirit there is, but nevertheless, I am attempting to do this. So bear with me as I try to go through this cause uh, really, it, it's just important. And um, first we're gonna say, do you have a battle plan to counterattack the strategies the enemy uses to keep you defeated. Have you got a counterattack to attack his strategies of, 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 of trying to attack you? Do you have counterattack strategies? Hmm. I'll, leave you, I'll leave that up to you to make that assessment if you do or not because you've got to have a plan. Everything that's, that's done requires a plan. I've heard it said, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. So you got to have a battle plan. Amen. But anyway, if you have ever played sports or been in any military, you know that no coach, no matter what the sport is, or general, will never enter into a game or a war without a battle plan. So there are plans. They will never enter in without a plan. What is a battle plan? It is a strategy to stay a step ahead of your enemy or opponent to focus on your weaknesses and to maximize your strengths so you can win. So this strategy begins with you monitoring yourself, finding out what are your weaknesses and, and your strengths and trying to work them together you know wherever you're weak make them strong and where you where you're strong make them even stronger 
so that you can win. Because as I said, Satan is not going to give up on you. He might carry you through all grades of hell yesterday, but guess what? He's not going to give you a break tomorrow. So you might as well find you some plans or some strategies that's going to be waiting on him when he wake up. You got to know what is important. Amen. Satan has raised war against you and me. As Christians, we know Jesus has already defeated Satan. You know, this is in Colossians 2 and 15. But in having spoiled principalities and power, he made a sure of them openly, triumphing over them in it. But that don't mean that Satan isn't going to use certain strategies to try to trick trick you into uh, have you believing otherwise. His strategies are intended to keep you defeated and to take everything that is rightfully yours. So even though you know Jesus defeated him and he knows Jesus defeated him, he's still not going to give up because he's banking that you don't know where you stand in this matter. So if he find out that you're not where you're supposed to be, then he's going to take control and he's going to carry you through a living hell. And um, I got one comparison to give you on down the line here, and it's, it is considered it's Job, and I want you to see just how things worked out with Job in order for things to work your way. So, you know, but what I can't understand, if we always going to say he's defeated, then why do we allow him to have a field day with us? Why we allow him to do to us and take all we should have victory over if we say he's defeated? I won't ever understand that. See, we got to take back what belongs to us, and then we got to protect what's already been given to us and stop saying he's defeated, but then letting him have a field day in our life. Come on here, somebody. Uh, we have the responsibility to stand our ground against the devil. Schemes and tricks. We have that responsibility. If we didn't, God wouldn't have told us to resist the devil and he'll flee. Amen. James 4 and 7. Or to use the weapons of our warfare, 2 Corinthians 10 and 4. And he would have not need to give us authority over the power of the enemy if he didn't think it was necessary. So it's necessary. So even though he has empowered us, there's still strategies that has to be used in order to defeat him. You got to be one step above where he is or he will have a field day. This is the question. Are we thinking and planning ahead for his attacks? Or are we just going to be surprised when he uses strategies and strict to steal, kill, destroy? Are we taking his attacks seriously? Do we feel we have been exempt from his attack program? I'm going to answer that for you. Don't even mind. No. You have not been, you have not been exempt from his attack program. He is going to attack you no matter what. And there's these, um, kind of a, 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 a word in here that was let you know the type of people that he would attack and the type of people that he would kind of sort of back off on. And those are the people that have stepped up and gotten to that place that is necessary in order to fight him off. Okay. We need to have a battle plan. I'm going to say this on and on and on throughout this message. We got to have a battle plan so that Satan will not outsmart us and we do this by becoming familiar with his evil schemes. Now, so many times in our messages, we have told y'all that you need to learn what the promises of God are so that you will know what he has promised. Because we know if God promised you something, then it's going to come to pass. Whatever he tells you, he's going to do. So to know his promises automatically guarantee you what you will receive by knowing and doing whatever it takes to receive those things. And on the other hand, that you are knowing the promises of God, you best know and come familiar with the evil schemes of the enemy. Because he is just is determined to destroy you if God is determined to bless you. So you better learn what his evil schemes are. Paul told us this in 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. 
And, and this is somewhat what the military called their intelligence. And this is going behind enemy lines to spy on his every move. And guess what? That's what Satan and his army of demons are doing against us. First Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And, and, and I want you to get this. And at, at, at one point, Satan told God he was going to and fro. Amen. And let me read it. Job 1 uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered uh, the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Thou hast considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, no one that feared God and intrudes evil. Now, wouldn't that be nice if God could say that about us? Have you considered my servant Kent? Oh, man. And so that let me know that he know that I wouldn't disappoint him in whatever Satan throws my way because of the fact that I have pleased him in my seeking him out, trying to learn him out. The Bible goes for us to say if we diligently seek him, he will reward us. Come on here, somebody. So he's going to reward us with that protection if we diligently seek him. And I believe Job did that. That's one of the reasons why he had his shield and head. And, and, and listen and listen, what Satan was telling him. He said, Did Satan answer the Lord and said, Do Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge around him and about his house and about uh, all that he had on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. The Bible tells us we have to grow in grace. There are many levels we have to reach to get that benefit package that Job had. There are so much we got to do, church, in order to get that benefit package that Job was walking with. We can't just get saved and expect to get the good of the land when we're not putting no effort in it. Again, if we seek him, and he's a rewarder of us, if we are trying to find those places in him that is necessary to open. And Job, as I stated, did that. So we got to make sure that we get there too. And he said, now, now he's fearing you for nothing because he know he had him around, had his uh, shields and hedges around him. So... As I'm saying, there are so many different levels that we can reach in order to get to that benefit package Job was living with. You see, Satan is always looking for that Christian. I'm going to say this again. Satan is always looking for that Christian that haven't allowed that one-of-a-kind relationship that will fully bond with God. Most of us won't love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. We haven't fully committed to his will and way. We are the ones Satan is still going to and fro for in the earth to devour. We that have not fully committed, those that have not gotten on that benefit package that Joe was on, we are the ones that the enemy is walking to and fro seeking to the vow. So we got to grow in grace. We got to continue to get into that word. We got to continue to fast and pray. We got to continue to do everything that is necessary in order to get us to that place where those shields and those hedges are there. He said he was a shield and a buckler. Now we got to get to those places where that protection is automatically there. If not, we are going to be the ones that the enemy is going to and fro for. Amen. Verse 11 said, But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he had, and he will curse thee to thy face. In other words, Job was saying, Now if you take away everything he got, now I promise you, he's going to not seem blessed, and he's going to curse you right to your face. But we know the story of this. And, and God, and, and the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he had is in their power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of God. And see, I would like that. 
went on trial and he'll tell him, well, you know, you do everything you can, but touch not his life. Come on here, somebody. God has given us all the intelligence we need to keep the devil under our feet. Psalms 144, 1 through 3 says that he trains our hands for war. He reveals the enemy's strategies and then tells us the plan of the counterattack. Amen. So, blessed be the Lord my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I trust, who subdued my people under me. Come on here, somebody. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? See, that's the question of all. Well, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? See, in other words, God is trying to learn about us. He is trying to keep up with us. He's trying to know all there is about us. And not only that, he's trying to make an account for us. He is trying to make sure that we are under his umbrella. We are under his wings. We are like the hen covering her brood. We are the one that he is shielding and protecting. He wants us to get to that place. He is constantly telling us, you will need this in order to defeat the enemy. If you get to that place where that benefit package is waiting on you, then you can be as Job was. You, cannot, you don't have to worry about what the enemy attacks are. And God knew when Job was going to be attacked that he was going to come out all right because that relationship has been building. That's that relationship that I'm saying that it takes that level of grace in order to receive. That level of growth in that grace you got to receive in order to get to that place. And and I want to get want y'all to get this to him now. Uh, there are three main strategies Satan will use to defeat you. And I want to go over these strategies. And once I go over his strategies, I'm going to give you a counterattack strategy in order to keep him at bay. Because he is not going to give up on you simply because you woke up this morning and had a, a, a small cough and your nose were running. That's not going to give you any mercy. He's still going to attack. He care less what you feel like when you wake up. He don't care if you got a grandma that's sick in the hospital with cancer. He don't care if you got a little brother that may have epilepsy. He don't care what you got. He don't care how they are. He's still going to attack you if you're the opposing threat to him. Those that have the Spirit of God, he is at your beck and call. He is going to try to destroy you simply because he knows that you are a threat. Amen. So these are uh, uh, some of the strategies that he uses in order to, to uh, instill fear in you. The first one is fear. He instills fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1 and 7. Fear is Satan's primary weapon. It is a spiritual force that begins inside you, and it totally... And it is totally destructive because it robs you of your faith, your peace, and it keeps your focus on circumstances instead of the promises of God. That's what fear would do. See, we are okay with somebody else going through, but then when it happened to us, we can't stand the pressure. We are trying our best to, to overcome, but then, you know, we're not even keeping up with what we told somebody else. So we can't even tell ourselves what we got to do. So we got to learn to have a way to overcome that spirit. Because the word says again, he did not give us the spirit of fear. Amen. The word fear not is left 110 times in the Bible to remind us not to fear. In the book of Luke 8 and 50, when Jairus needed healing for his daughter and the circumstances didn't look good, Jesus was quick to tell him, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. Jesus was warning Jairus of the greatest enemy to his daughter, healing, fear. And that's what uh, a lot of us go through some things in our lives with family members, with loved ones that is going through some changes, and we are believing God for the change to come about them. But then there's just, just that little fear. Just as soon as the enemy gets in the midst of it and he makes the situation, what I say, seem worse, we 
get bent all out of shape. We lose our direction. We lose our focus. We lose our hope. And therefore, that's what Satan wants. He comes in and he has a field day simply because we have lost our sight. Okay. Mm, 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 mm. And, and, and there is a situation in the Bible that that demonstrates that, and I'm going to go through it, and it's, it's in the book of Matthew, the 14th chapter, and that's when Jesus was walking on, on the, 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 the water, and Peter asked him, could he come, and Jesus bidding him to. The enemy still fear by challenging challenges the promise of God. A good example of this is found in Matthew 14, when Jesus invited Peter to come to him on the water. But when Peter saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Verse 30. What enabled people to Peter to walk on the water from the start? Now, you're talking about the Peter that has seen Jesus do a lot of things. You know, a lot of things. He has seen Jesus do a lot of miraculous things. So, basically... Some of the things he saw was things that he spoke, and it actually changed. He said it with his words, and it happened. So I guess Peter was thinking, well, he said it so I can walk. So uh, uh, his faith in the words of Jesus, when Jesus told him or bid him to come, he was able to walk. But what causes Peter to sing? He saw the strong winds and the waves, and he was afraid. It wasn't the wind or waves that defeated him. Get it now. It wasn't the wind or the waves that defeated him. It was the fear of them. Like Peter, we see the problems of our circumstances over and above our faith. When things are good and going right, we do fine. But just as soon as the circumstances of the situation seem pre-hopeless, we change from being happy and telling Satan he's defeated to, Lord, what am I going to do? It seems you have left me all alone and to be tormented. The Bible said there is torment and fear. 1 John 4, 13 through 18. Verse 13 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him. Now, y'all get this now. This is one of the reasons you don't have to fear. Because look, listen at the key words and the key phrases I'm going to say that lets you know that you shouldn't fear simply because of this. He said, hereby know that we dwell in him. One key. In him and he in us. Another key. Because he has given us his spirit. Listen to that. Read over that again. John 4, 13. He has we dwell in him and him in us and he has given us his spirit verse 14 says and we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world whosoever shall confess that jesus is the son of god god dwell in him and he in god y'all get these keys now you're dwelling he's dwelling he gave his spirit to keep this in mind, this is the reason not to fear. And we know, and we have known and believed that love that God has had for us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein, our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. So when you get afraid, you are, you are up to be taken advantage of by the enemy. He's going to have a field day because you fear something that's going on, and he ain't going to give you a break. He's going to bring you down with that. There is no fear of love, but perfect love casteth out fear. He that fears did not make perfect love. Again, verse 15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So why should we fear if he is for us that's greater than anything against us? Come on here, somebody. Okay. Now, we, are, we just read 
his strategies to bring fear. So now we're going to give the counterattacks for fear. Number one, meditate on God's word. This is how faith that drives out fear is developed, to meditate on the goodness, meditate on what he's done, meditate on the victories, meditate on the deliverance, meditate on all of these things, and this will develop to drive out the fear that is in you. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Hmm. Two, speak the word of God. Use it to fight Satan every time he comes against you. Hold up your shield of faith and quench all his fiery dots. Speak words of faith and fear will depart. <clears throat> Counterattack three, rebuke fear. Whenever you feel fear trying to come on you, don't stand for it one moment. Just say, fear, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Get out. Bible tells me the fear has to go because of that name. So that's one way you can counterattack his strategy. Amen. Okay. Strategy number two he'll use. He will lie to you. He is a liar and the father of lies. John 8:44. One of the strategies that the enemy will is to lie to you every day. Do you ever have a negative and discouraging thought that come out of nowhere? Mm. You know, you wake up, you feeling good because of something that happened yesterday. You feeling good and you know God is good. God is, uh, uh, as we say, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And you have nothing to complain about. Then all of a sudden, all hell break loose. He comes to take, take that joy that you have. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. So without that strategy, without that battle plan, he will make your day a living hell simply because now you're happy. He's going to take that, take that happiness from you any way he know how. Amen. Amen. Oh, um, so you, you will automatically have these negative thoughts and discouraging thoughts come from out of nowhere. Sometimes they can be hard to recognize and the enemy lies because they sound just like it could be true. However, if you accept them as true or believe them, even for a moment, you're falling for his mess and giving him an upper hand. See, he's going to try to make everything he say look legitimate. It sounds good. It looks good. Oh, this might be from God. See, but the deal of it is the Bible tells us to try the spirit by the spirit. See, just like you, when you go to the doctor and he diagnosed you with something and you don't want to buy into that or you're not sure if he's right about it, you get your second opinion. So when you are listening to things that's coming in your ear that is telling you to do something that you're not really sure if this God, you need to try the spirit by the spirit. See if this of God, because the enemy can, can camouflage to the place that his life can look so good you might believe it. Amen. But see, but you, you can't do that. Oh, amen. But the enemy knows your insecurity. He knows what makes you sad. He knows what makes you feel bad. He knows what you don't have. He knows what you got lack of. He knows everything that can crush your hope and dreams. So he's going to attack you in those areas. So you got to strengthen, strengthen yourself in those areas to to keep him at bay so that he won't have an upper hand. How many of you know that if he can't get to you in one way, he'll try another? So I will keep giving him other ways that he can't get through to me. You know, when he come in with one attack, I'll overcome it. I'll see exactly what I need to do through the word in order to overcome his attack that I can be triumphant over. So he have to try me in another area. So, so keep in mind, he knows your insecurities and he plays on them. He knows your concerns. He knows what we fear the most and what we fight against, and, and we know our hopes and dreams. He tries his best to fill them by telling you lies. He will tell you lies because he knows all about those things, as I said. Now, the question is, what does he lie to you? What does he get out of it? You want me to tell you what he get out of lying to you? Access to your lie. That's what he gets out of it. He comes to steal to kill and destroy. 
John 10 and 10. And if he can get you into wrong thinking, wrong believing, wrong speaking, wrong acting, the door to your life is wide open for him. Remember, now this is the key to this. Remember this now. The smallest crack you leave open is larger than any door he can open. But, get this, all he needs is a crack. But, that crack is left by you. So you got to get a hold of your insecurities. You got to get hold of your weaknesses. You got to gain more strength in your strengths so that you can defeat him and you can be a step ahead of him because he knows everything about you, the things that will sadden you. He knows about your hopes and dreams and he will do everything. He will, he will, he will make sure that nothing will work on your behalf. So you got to get strength in these areas that he cannot uh, pry into your life. And again, I'll say this again, the smallest crack that you'll leave open is wider than any door that he can open. So if you have any thoughts that are opposite of what God says, thoughts like you aren't going to be healed, you aren't going to be delivered, you aren't going to be saved, you're not going to be prosperous, you're not going to have joy, you're not going to have peace, you're not going to have hope or power in the kingdom of God, know that they are outright lies scraped from the pit because you have an opportunity to be everything God require you to be in everything you desire to be through his word. So if you got any thoughts just opposite to what God said, thoughts like you aren't going to be healed or, or to be saved or prosperous, full of joy, full of peace, then you know that ain't from God. That's from the pit. You can't afford to entertain Satan's lies. There are too much at stake to entertain his lies. What's at stake? Your health your family, your relationship, your money. Don't let the devil become your counselor, counselor in the areas of life that matters most. He's the father of lies and all of our enemy. So don't let him be the counselor in your life in areas that's, that matters the most. As I said, he will whisper in your ear things that seem like they the truth. But at the end of the day, they're from him so they can't be the truth. See, he can't tell the whole truth. So you got to make sure what's been spoken to you is legit and it's from God and not from him because he is not going to tell you the truth. He is not going to tell you that everything's going to be okay if you do this or do that. Okay. All right. Now, this is the counterattack for the enemy lies. Number one, take every thought captive. That means monitor everything that has been said to you, that's been spoken to you. Go over it with a fine-tooth comb. Meditate on it. Listen to it over and over. Get your answer. Get your direction from it. And, and know whether this is from God or this is from Satan. You got to know. Don't try to rush to your thoughts. Don't try to rush through to what's been saying to you. Because God don't quickly do anything. Come on here. Uh, God is not a microwave. So monitor what's been said to you. Capture every thought. Casting down. Listen at this now. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, casting down imaginations and every hot thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. To do this, start lining up every thought with the word of God. John 10 and 27 says in verse 27, listen to this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And when he put it forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. So you got to get to where you know who is speaking to you. So you know who you got to follow. Who is trying to tell you to do this and do that for your benefit. For those things that matter the most to you. You better know who's speaking to you. So you got to have thoughts on these things. Capture these thoughts on these things and so that you know who is exactly talking to you. Listen to this in verse 5 says, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. So when you hear another voice speaking lies, take those lies captive and throw them to the ground before they have a chance 
to take root. So if you know them thoughts and not of God, you need to banish them things from you. You need to get rid of them so that you can leave room for the things God wants to do. Always think on the things that's been spoken to you because God is not going to say that you got doubt. He's saying you want to be sure of what's been spoken to you, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. Okay. For my next strategy here, uh, respond with, and this is what you got to do with him, respond with the truth. After he has told you his little sneaky lies and try to throw you off, respond to him with the truth. You can't fight thoughts with thoughts, so it's important to speak out God's truth when the enemy lies. For example, if the enemy say you're not smart enough for that job, you answer back, oh, yes, I am. For it is written that I have the mind of Christ. So you got to respond back with a positive word to the things that he's speaking unto you. Amen. His strategy number three to try to overtake you is the, uh, is the, the attempt to put sin on you. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. James 1 and 13. God don't and won't tempt you with sin. So if anything isn't for you, know this is a Satan and not a God. Because God is for you, and anything he does is going to be for you. So if, if, if it's not for you, then you know it is not a God. Amen. Yeah. And just uh, just know that he knew that you are not exempt. I can't, I got to keep saying that too. You're not exempt from the program. Listen to this. God would never tempt you to do anything wrong. In fact, he has given you every tool to resist the devil so he will flee from you, James 4 and 7. The enemy uh, has to go simply because you refuse to take his mess. Sometimes he's obvious about it, tempting you to lie or commit acts of immortality or another sin clearly defined as such in God's word. But a lot of times he's subtler than that. For example... He may tempt you to think you are holier and better than any other or that you doing others a favor uh, or your Christian duty by judging and exposing people. Now, he makes you think that it's your job to expose people and just talk junk about them and try to do all that correcting. And nine times out of ten, you may not even be right yourself. Now, he says uh, that some of us are think that we are better than others that we are more holier than others. That's, that's what he wants us to think so that uh, he can uh, uh, open up that, that floodgate for you, that he can do more. For example, he may tempt you to think you are holier and better than others, that you're doing them a favor for Christian duty by judging and exposing them. You might even start thinking more about your own feelings, needs, and desires than those of others. In other words, you put yourself first, can we say amen? In other words, it, it gets you to the place where you think you are the most important fish in the sea, that you're not even worrying about anybody else, what they need, and what's going on with them. You see them in uh, doing certain things that you think is your job to correct them and, and, uh, and, and uh, to do everything that God's job to do. That is how the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 1-11. He did all he could to get Jesus to abandon the path of obedience and keep him from what God had sent him to do, and most of all, getting him to prove he was the Son of God. How many of you have he talked to and talked you out of who you really are? How many of you have been talked out of who you really are? Hmm. He's still, he's still talking now. He's still trying to convince you that you don't really know who you are. And he's going to pose the question to you. If you are saved, if you are delivered, 
if you are set free, then do this and do that. See, you don't owe him any response because you know you are saved, delivered, and set free. So you don't owe him no response, and that's what Jesus tried to tell him. Now listen to this. Um, when you know who you are, there is no reason you have to prove anything to anybody. Stick to what God has made you. Mm. When Jesus was in the wilderness, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The Bible said that the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Matthew 4, 2 and 3. Satan came to Jesus when he sent weaknesses and tried to prey on that weaknesses. And he'll do the same to you and me. When we're at a state where we don't have strength, where we can't focus, he will come and have a field day. So that's why you got to keep your insecurities in control. Because when you at your weakest is when he sees it as an opportunity to defile you. So you got to make sure that you stay strong in this situation. Amen. And the greatest danger in a believer's life is to ever think that you are above temptation. That's when you let your guard down, taking off your armor again, he's going to and fro seeking who he can devour. So never take off your armor. Keep it. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about the counterattacks for temptation to sin. Recognize that there is a way out of it. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above that which you are able, that you'll be able to burn. So just know God will bring you out of that. Just stand firm. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out of that that you can endure. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. In other words, there is nothing new. Satan repeats the same old tired tricks. But God has provided an escape way. So whatever he trying to, to push on you to sin, just know that God will bring you out. If you have need of anything, just know God will make that way or already have made that way. Oh, okay. Number two, answer the temptation with God's word. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness to turn stones into bread, he answered Satan with, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Matthew 4 and 4. He didn't ponder Satan's suggestion. He just come out and told him, I, man shall not live by bread alone. He didn't entertain it. He didn't phone a friend to ask for advice like some of y'all do when you're tempted, you try, you're going through. Want to call somebody and ask them what you should do. Well, you should already know. Well, you should be so, so deep in that word that the answer will bubble up. You know, the Bible says he, he, he will bring back to the remembrance. The Holy Ghost will bring back to the remembrance the thing that you were taught. Come on here. So so get where you don't have to call somebody. Because when you start calling somebody and talking about it, and then the enemy is getting in that little crack, he can make your situation a whole lot worse because you made it out. God said in his word that he, he wants the most secret parts. Come on here. So stop broadcasting what's going on. Stop asking for advice. He immediately shut it down with the truth found in the word. You can do the same when the enemy tempts you to sin. Answer back with God's word and do it quickly. Shut him down. Make him turn tail and run the other way. It's a counterattack he can't defeat. The Bible says again also resist the devil and he will do what? Flee. Amen. Strategy number four. The enemy will stir up pride. Hmm. Pride leads to conflict, Proverbs 13 and 10. One of the most effective strategies the enemy uses to keep you defeated is to stir up pride. Satan fell because of pride, and he wants to take you down with him by giving, getting you prideful. Don't let yourself fail into it. Don't, don't let yourself fall for his little mess. Don't let yourself fall for his mess now. If it brought him down, it can bring you down. What is pride? Pride is defined, listen at this, as an over high opinion of oneself. 
Mm. You think a lot of yourself. Uh, exaggerated self-esteem or conceit, arrogance, self-esteem arising from one's accomplishments or possessions. See, see, it ain't based on what you have accomplished and what you have. It don't based on that. See, you don't need to be bragging about all that. See, God can allow you to get those things today, and they can be scripted for you tomorrow. So, wanting to be the only one with something is not a good way to think, not a good way to be, thinking that you are it. You are the bomb, as they say, dot com. Come on here. So, stop trying to be prideful. Amen. It's separate rising from one's accomplishment possession and um, um, an idea of one's own dignity or importance. This, now, all of that was just the dictionary definition. But the Bible goes even further in its description by identifying it as one of the seven things that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, and it calls it abomination to God. Satan, no pride, is the path to destruction and shame. And one of the traits that were, that were uh, right easily get you written off from the heart of God is pride. Proverbs 11 and 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. So he will deploy tactics to get you prideful. He start whispering all kinds of things you want to hear and hope that you will become puffed up. He'll say things like, you know, you're much better than those other Christians. You have more ministry skills. Now, how many of you have already done, seen somebody that think they can preach better than anybody else or they can teach better than anybody else? So those are the things that he's done to whisper. Oh, you all that. Can't nobody do it like you. So, so he'll... Put those things in your spirit that, that you will stop bragging and boasting on them to the point that, you know, God going to bring you down. He said, you have more ministry skills and you live holier. If you fall for this tactic, before you know it, you be having an extra high opinion of yourself. You be walking in pride. So if you're thinking that way now, you better get on a good foot. How many times do we see believers get into trouble because they're getting an overblown idea of themselves? They begin to think they're so smart and have it all figured out. That's a sure sign that they're listening to the devil whispering. Then the next thing you know, they're thinking they have to straighten everyone else out and know more about everybody but, but, but don't have the ability to see anything about themselves. Instead of letting Jesus lead in God and reveal, they feel like they have to step in and do the job. Once that happens, it's just a matter of time before conflicts arises, and they shall fall flat on their faces in failure, simply because of that pride. Matthew 23 and 12 says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be a base. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Why? Because the Bible says God resisted the proud. First Peter 5, 5 and 6. Okay. Now, this is the counterattack for pride. Now, you hear how he will try to place that pride in you by saying and whispering little things. Humble yourselves, according to 1 Peter 5 and 5 and 6. Being truly humbles mean to submit to God and his word. That means when God says something, you believe it. No matter how far it is over your own thinking, you will believe it. When God say to do something, you do it. Romans 12, 16 to 19, verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men's of low esteem. Be not wise in your own conceit. Response to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. It is, if it's possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dirty beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. 
Verse 20 says, Therefore, if thy enemy hungry, feed him. If thou if he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou hast heaped coals of fire on his head. Verse 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Be grateful. Keep a watch on yourself. And when you catch yourself getting puffed up with your own greatness, repent. And remember that every good thing you enjoy and every bit of success you have had comes by the grace of God and Him only. Remember that. Don't judge other Christians. The Bible has a lot to say about judging our brothers and sisters in Christ because we can end up being hypocritical. We are told repeatedly not judge or condemn others. So that will that we will not be judged or condemned. Luke 6, 36 through 38, excuse me. Be ye therefore merciful, as the Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and it shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measures, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with it, it shall be measured to you. In other words, whatever you expect to receive, then you got to be willing to give. Give. This is universal. Give. Amen. Again, James 4 and 10 through 12 says, James said, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of the brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, if one lawyer, lawgiver, who is able to save and to destroy, who art thou that judge another? So if they just one is able to save and destroy, you can't judge nobody compared to you. Are you ready to go to war against these four strategies? The enemy uses to keep you defeated. Now, you know that the enemy instills fear. The enemy lies to you. The enemy tempts you to sin. And the enemy steers up pride. Practice identifying his strategies every day. And use God's battle plan to counterattack and claim the victory. This has been another Wiser Future podcast. And we're out.